Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew and the 6th chapter. We're going to start in verse 19 this morning. This is what we do. We work our way through the Bible verse by verse. That's where we're going to pick up this morning as we return to the Gospel of Matthew. I was away last week and Abe Skasel taught on Psalm 51. I'm looking forward to hearing that myself, listening to that message when it's posted soon online. I've heard some really good things about it. Today we return to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. King Jesus has gone up on a mountainside and begun teaching his followers how he wants them to live as citizens of his kingdom. Let me ask you a trick question this morning. Has Jesus' kingdom come? I said it's a trick question. Yes and no. Yes, the the kingdom has come because the king has come. It's come in part. And yet, no, because his kingdom is still to come. Because he hasn't yet brought the kingdom in all of its fullness. Trust me, this is not as good as it gets. The king has already come. And because the king has come, and yet his kingdom is still to come because he hasn't yet brought the kingdom in all of its fullness. So now the king is getting his subjects ready. That's us. He's getting us ready for that kingdom that is still to come. And he's called us to live as citizens of that kingdom while we wait for that kingdom. So right now we kind of have one foot in, in, in one kingdom and one foot in another, right? Because the kingdom has come and yet it's not fully here. So we have to live in the present age as citizens of the age to come. While we pray for that kingdom to come. Do you remember the last time we looked at the Lord's Prayer? And one of the requests is, your kingdom come. Lord, bring it. Bring that kingdom. That's what Jesus' sermon is all about. Living as citizens of the coming kingdom. And it makes us uncomfortable. That's on purpose. King Jesus threatens our little kingdoms. And he requires us to change, to adjust to his kingdom. He doesn't say, well, I'll adjust my kingdom to yours. He says, you need to adjust to live in my kingdom. We call that repentance. He said, we need to repent, to turn around, because his kingdom is near. We've said it over and over again that the kingdom seems upside down. Right? As we've read through the Sermon on the Mount, things have seemed a bit different from how we see things. But it's really we who are upside down. The kingdom is right side up. And so we need to change. We need to turn right side up to fit in this kingdom, to flourish in his kingdom and to bring glory to this king. So first, in the Sermon on the Mount, he called us to the good life, a life of flourishing, but not like we might expect. He invited us to be needy, Sad, lowly, unsatisfied, and even persecuted. And if we did that for Jesus, we would flourish. We would be, his word for it was, blessed. And then he asked us to be salt and light, having an influence on the world, even if it meant trouble for us. And then he asked us to live out a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. And whew, that was a challenge. The Messiah has come to fulfill the law and to call all of his followers to live out a righteousness that surpasses that of the religious leaders of the day. Are you with me? Do you remember this? Really to become perfect. He says, be 
perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or another word for perfect is whole, W-H-O-L-E. The same on the inside as on the outside. Because the scribes and the Pharisees looked good on the outside, but they were a total mess on the inside. And Jesus wants His kingdom to not just be a right-side-up kingdom, but an inside-out kingdom. A both inside and outside kingdom where the two truly match. And so He gave us many examples. Six of them are what we call the but-I-tell-you's of chapter 5. Where Jesus took statements from the Torah that had often been misunderstood and misapplied and showed how He wanted to go right to the heart and and for these to be lived out to the fullest. And then in chapter 6, he gave us three examples of not living out our righteousness to be seen by others. Instead, to live out our greater righteousness, what he called in secret. That is, not for the approval of others, but for the Lord's approval alone. Not from the outside to get applause from people. Yay, you're so holy. But from the heart to be rewarded by our Father in heaven. Does this sound familiar? Is this a review? Does it sound like what we've been learning? Three times in the last passage, verses 1 through 18, he said to practice your righteousness quietly. And then he said, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will what? Reward you. Verse 4 he said it. Verse 15 he said it. Verse 18 he said it. So today's passage flows right out of that. There's no breaks. There's no great big break between verse 18 and verse 19. In fact, our passage for today forms a perfect conclusion to what Jesus has been saying and then a perfect bridge into what comes right after it. All that talk about rewards. And now Jesus kind of changes the wording just a little bit and he begins to talk about treasures. And he calls his followers to make some big decisions about their treasures. Decisions that he's still asking us to make today. Here's our title for this morning. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Because in verses 19 through 24 of Matthew chapter 6, King Jesus lays out some kingdom priorities for what he calls our treasures. And he asks us to make some wise choices about what our priorities will be. Do you know what your priorities are? You have priorities and you live by them all the time. Jesus says, I'm going to set up some kingdom priorities and I want these to be your priorities. I want you to choose them. Last weekend, my sons and I were at the father-son retreat at Miracle Mountain Ranch. We had a great time with the folks up there and they all send their greetings and their thanks for your support. The, the guys at the ranch asked me to teach on digging for wisdom in the Proverbs. The very same thing I'm planning to do here at our family Bible week this summer. In the wisdom literature of the Bible, there are often two pathways that are laid out before us. The way of the wise and the way of the what? The fool. That's right. The way of the wise and the way of the fool. And these two paths are presented as the only two options. The smart and right way to go, the way of the wise. And the foolish and wrong way to go, the way of the fool. And the choice is continually set before the undecided to choose which path they will take. Well, I believe that Jesus is being a wisdom teacher in today's passage. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is being a wisdom teacher. He sets up three major contrasts 
of these two ways to live in verses 19 through 24 and lays before his listeners their two choices. The smart and right way to go, the way of the wise, and the foolish and wrong way to go, the way of the fool. And he calls them and us to choose. Which one will it be? I almost titled this message, Which One Will It Be? Because the question is just hanging in the air there as you read it. But I didn't this morning because at the same time, Jesus makes it very clear which path he's calling us to take. So the title is Choose Wisely. Let's read it so you can see what I'm saying. Notice the contrasts as I read it. Notice that there are two ways to go. And one is the right way. That's the way of the kingdom. And Jesus is calling us to take it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Would you pray with me? Two paths. You're laying them out in front of us right now, Lord. Help me to lay them out clearly to not get us distracted. Look at something other than these two paths. And then, Lord, by grace, by your Holy Spirit, help us to choose wisely. Help us to choose the path of the kingdom that you are setting us on. Would you do that, Lord? We pray it in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Did you feel the contrasts as I read it to you? I tried to bring them out one way and the other. I see three major choices here to make wisely. Here's number one. Choose your vault. Choose your vault. And by that I mean your storehouse, your, your treasure house, the place where you put your possessions, your, your safe, where everything goes. Jesus says, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Choose your vault. You see that? Choose where you will place your treasures. Now he's obviously speaking metaphorically, right? Because you can't literally send your treasures to heaven. UPS does not deliver there. FedEx doesn't go that far. And don't even think about using the post office. But I think we all know what he's talking about, right? He's talking about our priorities. He's talking about our decisions, our choices, especially of what we do with our treasures. And in the context, that must include our money and our possessions. That's why we just sang all to Jesus. It's probably more than just our money and possessions. It's anything we tend to treasure, but it's not less than that. 
So it probably includes our time and our relationships and other things that we tend to hold dear to ourselves, but it certainly also includes our money and our stuff. Other people, other people have stuff. We have possessions, right? No, hands off my stuff. Jesus says, don't store that up on earth. Now, he's not saying that we can't have a bank account, because again, he's speaking metaphorically. He's not saying that we can't have a retirement account. He's not saying that we cannot own a barn. The Bible is clear that saving money for the future is wise and a prudent thing to do. Proverbs 6, chapter 6, Solomon says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The Bible teaches that that productive and saving ants are smarter than human sluggards. But Jesus is calling us to make wise choices about all this stuff. He's asking us what that money and stuff is doing. Where is your treasure? What kingdom are these treasures serving? Because our tendency is to hoard. Our tendency is to get greedy, to build bigger barns, and to put our faith and trust in our money and our possessions, and to spend it all on us, and to skimp on the kingdom. I don't know about you, but that's my tendency. If I was just left to myself, Jesus says, choose wisely what vault you store those treasures in. Where's your money going? What's it going to? Do you feel the contrast he's setting up? There is a first bank of earth, he says, and there's a first bank of heaven. Where should you be making your deposits? Why? Well, Jesus points out how temporary first bank of earth is. It's one of those fly-by-night organizations. Moths will eat up your cloths. Rust will eat up your metals. That word for rust there in the NIV is literally eating. The eating will destroy your treasures. So that would include rats getting into your grains. Did you ever have something destroyed by a rat? Vermin getting into your stuff, taking it away. The eating. That's what goes on in this world. Everything we invest in this world, something's going to eat it up. One click of the button, and all those digital dollars are gone. And then those other kind of rats, the ones that actually steal your stuff, where thieves break in and steal. It's pretty foolish to be investing all of your resource in something so transient, something so shaky. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's what we call a safe investment. The stock exchange of heaven never goes down. You'll never lose your shirt if you invest in the kingdom. Now, is that how it always seems? No. No, it seems like the here and now is very real and here to stay. And heaven, that kind of seems far away and unreal. But it's actually the opposite. This life is so short and so flimsy. Think about this. Pretend this is a a million dollars, okay? You're just going to have to pretend, okay? But let's say that uh, today I gave you this million dollar bill, right? And you put it in your pocket, okay? Can you imagine how that feels, okay? You feel that? Okay. 
Now, if you had a million dollars and you invested it in yourself and your little kingdom, how are you going to feel about that million dollars 15 minutes after you die? Okay, right now you're thinking about how it would feel in your pocket right now. Okay? But how are you going to feel about that, fif- that million dollars 15 minutes after you die? How are you going to feel about that, fif- that million dollars 15 million years after you die? Jesus is saying that his kingdom is forever. Remember we sang at Christmas, and he shall reign forever and ever. Well, that'll orient things, won't it? This is just a little bit more, and then it's over. And that's forever. Which kingdom do you want to invest in? Because get this, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where do you want your heart to be? Here on earth or up in heaven? I think Jesus means more than just what what, what your treasure is what you set your heart on. That's just obvious. I think Jesus actually means that our hearts, our spirits, our worshiping center of our souls will be where we put our treasures. So this applies to what we saw last time about fasting and prayer. If you make a big deal about your fasting and you're praying so that people will see you do it and think you're so great, then you're investing in First Bank of Earth. You're investing in your little kingdom. Look how holy I am. And that's all that fasting and prayer of that kind will accomplish. Well, the same thing is also true of giving your money. Are you spending it and saving it and hoarding it and building up your pile for your kingdom? Scrooge McDuck? Even giving it strategically to get the applause of others. Oh, he's a big donor. Well, that's as far as it goes. That's as good as it gets. You've got your reward. Or are you giving it for and to the kingdom? To the church? To missions? And to those in need? To the poor? For the kingdom. Jesus is calling us to live with eternity's values in view. To live and give for what is eternal and forever. You choose. But choose wisely. Here's choice number two. Choose your focus. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now this is a tough one to interpret. But the contrast is very clear, isn't it? We don't tend to talk this way about our eyes or our bodies. We know that he's really using them as metaphors for spiritual realities. He's not talking about the physical, the physical eye, the physical body. He's using them as illustrative language. He starts by saying the eye is the lamp of the body. I think that means that your insides get light through your eyes so you know where to go. It's kind of like saying that they're windows. Sometimes we call the eyes the windows of the soul. Okay? 
They are the source of the light for the inside of the house, which is your body. So it's very important that your eyes are healthy. If they aren't healthy, then you'll be blind and unable to find your way. I think that's what he means by, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? But he's not talking about eyes and bodies, is he? Just like he wasn't talking about a beating heart, the muscle, in verse 21, when he said the heart, here he's not talking about eyes and body, physical ones, he's talking spiritually. This is figurative language and wordplay. And I think the key is to understand the word behind good in verse 22. Or healthy, if you have the 2011 NIV or the the ESV, healthy. It's the word hapluz. And it can be translated good or healthy or generous or, catch this one, whole. W-H-O-L-E. If you have the King James Version in front of you, it has the word single. If your eye is single. And that doesn't mean if you only have one of them, okay? It's talking about the kind of the quality of the eye. We don't talk about single-eyed something like that today, but it has the kind of connotation of what we mean by focused or undistracted, even generous. He means undivided loyalty. If you have that kind of spiritual eye, an eye that's focused on the kingdom, then your whole life will be full of spiritual light. I think that's what he's saying. But contrastly, verse 23, if your eyes are bad or evil, what would be the opposite of single? Double, right? Kind of looking this way and also looking that way. Then your whole, your whole life will be full of spiritual darkness. Just makes sense, right? So what's he saying? He's saying, what is your focus? What do you have your eye on? Is it a new car? Is it a new and bigger house? Is it a new and bigger hard drive? Is it a new and snazzier whatever? Or do you have your eye on the kingdom that has come and is coming? Not that any of those other things are bad, but where's your focus? What's at the center? What drives every other decision? What, what compared to this is hating those things? Kingdom. Choose your focus. I think that thinking of that word single or whole fits so well with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about being perfect or whole, W-H-O-L-E. Let your focus be centered on Jesus and on his kingdom. That's what he's going to say in verse 33, isn't it? It's going to be our hide the word verse starting next week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. Laser focus on the kingdom. Do you feel how important this is? When he's talking, do you feel it? He wants your attention. He wants your focus. He wants to be the priority. If you don't have this kind of spiritual sight, you will run off course. How great is that darkness? Choose wisely. Last one. It's really saying the very same thing. All all three of these are really saying the same thing. Choose your master. Choose your boss. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Not really. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Choose wisely. Now here he's clearly talking about money, right? He even, he even calls it mammon, right? If you have the King James, it says mammon, which is just the Aramaic word for money or stuff. We call it greenbacks, right? Matthew doesn't translate that word into Greek like the rest of Jesus' words, so he's probably acting like money has a mind of its own. The 1984 NIV capitalizes it to bring that across. Almost like Mammon is the name of a god, which it certainly could be. Ever knew anybody whose god was money? Definitely acts like one at times for us. Do you feel the contrast? Over on this side, we've got God. Step right up, step right up, come to the match of the ages. Over on this side, we've got money. The two are not compatible. You can't serve both of them. One's got to win. You choose. Choose wisely. Jesus says there's no middle way. No one can serve two masters. You can't have two ultimate bosses. You can't have two ultimate owners. Because at some point, and probably soon and often, they will conflict. And only one of them can be the true master. One of them will call the shots. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's the way it is. You either love God, or you love money. And by that, we don't mean that you kiss it and put on the mantelpiece and bow down to it. But you know when this controls your life. What's it going to be? Remember, Jesus wants us to be whole. He doesn't want us to just give lip service to loving God, but really love our money. He wants all of us. And so he's saying, choose wisely. So how are you doing at this? Disciples? What's your God? Really, these three choices are different ways of saying the same thing, aren't they? Where's your treasure going? Where's your focus? Who really is your master? Well, how do we know how we're doing? By how we use our money and our stuff and anything that's important to us? Just real quickly, do yourself a favor and do a spiritual audit by looking at your money. If you were on trial for being a follower of Jesus Christ, a citizen of his kingdom, what would your checkbook say? I'd like to enter this checkbook into evidence. Exhibit A tells us where their priorities are. Would there be evidence in your checkbook to convict you of being a citizen of Jesus' kingdom? Or would it tell a very different story? I can't tell you how much to give or what to give. Or where to put your money. I'm not going to do that. But I can ask the question, where's your money going? First bank of earth? Or first bank of heaven? Where is your focus? Are you generous and caring for others and it's obvious from your bank account? The money don't lie, right? Follow the money? Follow the trail? Or are you stingy and miserly and greedy and hoarding it all? And when you give it, you want to make sure that other people knew you did so you get some credit for it. And we can all think of someone else who loves money. 
But the question is, do we love money? Don't look at anyone else. Look at you. Where is your treasure? Because that will tell you where your heart is going. Some of you this morning will feel convicted and you're not supposed to. You just have tender consciences. You're doing well in this area. You love Jesus. Your priorities are in the right place. Just keep it up. Some of you will feel, should feel convicted and you don't. Don't explain this away. Don't just give yourself an easy out. Think about the people to whom Jesus was talking to. I just thought about that this week. Any of the people Jesus is talking to at that moment would have been amazed to have anything like what anybody in this room has right now. They would just be like, I can't believe how much stuff you have. And Jesus tells them to not store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. If he's saying that to poor people in the first century in Palestine, how much more is he saying it to American Christians? How are you doing in this area of your life? Some of you, I'm sure, are doing amazing. We have a, an incredibly generous church here. Thank you to everyone who has been giving to the Challenge Group's fundraising. That's coming together very nicely. And as one of the parents and one of the chaperones and, and your pastor, I am very grateful. Thank you for giving just to the church general fund week in and week out. I personally get paid from that money. And I am incredibly grateful for your generosity. And thank you not for just giving here, but for giving to missions. A quarter of every dollar you give goes to the people on that back wall and to other organizations like them. And then on top of that, you give to special things. This church is incredibly generous. You're always putting your money where the kingdom is. Thank you for giving to the needy, people with needs. But I'm guessing that some of us need to be asking ourselves if we are truly building our own kingdoms or Jesus's. Here's a good diagnostic question for you to tell if you still have some work to do in this area of serving money instead of God. Are you worrying about money? Because that's where Jesus goes with this, isn't it? In the very next verse, he says, verse 25, he says, You cannot serve both God and money, therefore, what? I tell you, do not worry. That's where we're going to start next week. Money says, I am all important, you must serve me. And we say, okay, Master, I'll worry about that. But God says, I am all important. You must serve me. Choose me. And we can say, okay, Lord, I choose you. And I trust you. I won't worry. And Jesus says, when we do that, very wise choice indeed.